Someone's looking good today. What a good-looking group. David, can you just stand? Your overalls are incredible. Right? Round of applause. A twirl, twirl, a twirl. Did you all realize that David is an actor? Yeah. And he's actually incredible. So we actually just saw him recently in the, some, the Star Catcher. Peter the Star, star Catcher. Peter Pan. So good. He's like a celebrity. So you guys are all sitting with a celebrity in the front row here. For everyone listening on our podcast too, we just take a moment. You look amazing today as well. Be encouraged. You are looking good. Hopefully you're not getting dressed when you're listening to this or whatever. You look good anyways. You look great. Yeah, that was really awkward. Hey, so this week, crazy week. Did anyone else have a crazy week? So we had a doctor appointment, Anne-Marie and I, doctor's appointment. No, we're not pregnant. No, we're not pregnant. That always that elongated, that, you like that pregnant pause? Hey, hey. Um, well, actually, to, to tell you about our doctor's appointment that we had the other day, I need to, I guess, back up a little bit. So we just had blood work done a couple, probably a couple weeks ago, um, and we went through it with our doctor this past week, but it all kind of began last June when we had our annual kind of physical, we had blood work done, and we went in to speak to our doctor about our blood work, and he's looking at mine, and I'm like, I could see his laptop, and there's like red numbers like going down his laptop. Red is not good, unless it's the Bible, then that's Jesus talking. <laughs> but on the computer, probably not good, right? So come to find out, I had very high cholesterol at this time, like a host of things. Like my health was, last year I wasn't doing so hot. I was kind of struggling. On the outside, I was pushing through and fine, but on the inside, I was not doing good at all. And my wife as well wasn't doing so hot as, as well. But she was actually doing much better than I was. So that like shows you the extent of what I was going through at the moment. Um, but during that moment, we had a chat with the doctor. He's like, okay, I was like, well, what, what can I do differently? And he said, you can go on a plant-based diet. And I was like, so plant-based, like, you know, like with poultry? It's like, no, plant-based, green. So, like on weekends, or like a couple days a week, I like eat vegetables or whatever, or I'll have like a green drink, a juice, or something. He's like, no, you need to completely change your diet. And so we did. Back in June of last year, we completely changed our diet around, which I honestly, I never would have seen myself doing this. If you would have asked me a year ago, I would probably be that guy that would have laughed and been like, never, never doing that. It's so San Francisco, I'm not gonna do that, right? <laughs> Lo and behold, though, we made this change and started to feel a little better, but you always kind of like, in the back of your head, you wonder, I made this massive lifestyle change, like, is it actually gonna do something? And then, of course, I have some family members that love me and so supportive, but they're like, yeah, oh, it's, 
kind of just everyone in the family deals with it. It's like one of those things, you just gotta make friends with it. So that's like in the back of my mind as well, going through, you know. And I think one of the greatest questions that were answered most frequently, you know, would be asked was, people were always wanting to know like, how hard is that? That must be so difficult. And to tell you the truth, at first, it was. It was so hard. Like I'd get food envy, like looking at other people all the time and I'd like start to get cravings. I'm like pacing back and forth in our apartment. Stay strong, stay strong, Craig, stay strong. But if I go and get something when my wife's not home and no one else is around, <laughs> would anybody really know? Would it still affect me? And then we keep being asked, like people would see us and they're like, wow, so you're, you're really doing this? Like really? Yeah, we're really doing this. So come to this past week. Get our tests. The laptop comes up and I see red on there. And I was like, oh my gosh. They take my blood pressure. And he gives me like this high number. I'm like, what is that? So I asked the guy, isn't that kind of high? And he's like, it's, yeah. That's what he said. <laughs> He works for a doctor and I'm asking you a question, like is that bad, but like is that high blood pressure? He's like, eh. And he kind of smiled and walked away and then I was like, no, seriously. He's like, it's not that bad. I'm not making this up. This guy told me like, it's not that bad. And I was like, are, are you serious? So he walks out of the room like cheery and I'm looking at Amri. I'm freaked out. What's going on? Well, doctor comes in, he looks at me and he's like, what has happened to you? You like lost so much weight. You know, and asking me all these questions and then he, he sits down and he said, Craig, I gotta tell you, I'm looking at all of your numbers here and I'm blown away. Like I, I was thinking, I, didn't I prescribe you like some sort of medication to be on? Because even if I did, like this is still really good. And I was like, no, I haven't, I haven't been on anything. So lo and behold, this little decision that we made, that we chose to make last year, actually made a massive change in our lives. My levels, cholesterol levels, everything, like completely, like drastically dropped. So much so that he said, he's like, I wanna use you guys in, as an example to other people that come to see me because you didn't need any medication and within seven to eight months, your health is completely different. Like drastically. And so he was so cool, and he's like sitting there talking with me and you know, just chatting it up, and I'm very relaxed at this point, of course, because I'm reassured, we did it. And he's like, I need to take your blood pressure again, though. <laughs> he's like, he's so sweet, he's like, uh, so was there traffic on the way here? Or like, he's like, because I, I can get worked up when there's traffic. I'm like, no, I don't think so. It's like during the day, there's no one out here. Um, and so he took it and my blood pressure was fine. Amazing. But like, cheers. But what a moment to, to understand that this decision that I made and my wife and I made actually had such a greater impact on us. It was something so small in that very moment, but it ended up completely changing our lives and our health. Ironic, probably not, but the past couple months in my personal devotion, I've been reading through the book of Daniel. And, you know, Book of Daniel, totally guilty. Get to the point, yeah, I've studied it, I've gone through it, but then you just kind of get to the point like, oh, it's a lion's den book. 
Daniel in the lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, and by furnace, stuff like that, right? But I've been in this book, it's 12 chapters long, I've been there for the past two months. And then there's this reoccurring theme. I was actually telling Ken this morning that as I went through all, like, all of my notes to talking to him and Lee, like, there's this one word that just kept popping up time and time again. So much that like on my, my journaling, I'd like write the word like a crazy person, like all over the place. This one word, and I'm like circling it, starring it, put whatever you gotta do like to bring my attention to it. And it was this one word. But let's just get, get, go to the book of Daniel. How about that? Yeah. And we'll find out for ourselves. For those of you that are familiar with the book of Daniel, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the book of Daniel? Go ahead and shout it, shout it out. Lion's Den. Veganism. Veganism. <laughs> That's true. The Daniel Fast. Who'd have thought? <laughs> Who else? Anyone? Praying three times a day. Yeah. Praying three times a day. That's true. Let's not all speak at once. We should take turns, really. It's okay. We'll leave it at that. Lions. Great. This is done. Let's go to lunch. You just heard the book of Daniel. Yep. High fives. Let's go. We're all done. Now, the book of Daniel, give you a little bit of context to understand it. It's referred to as a historical narrative. Um, historical, like you'll see in a moment, as soon as we take off in the very first chapter, he's very intentional about listing a period to give you like context as far as time-wise when this took place. So it's that, it's a narrative, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people have come over the years and said that, oh, it can't really work, Daniel writing it, you know, you know, by himself, blah, blah, blah. But there's so many other things backing it, so many like Dead Sea Scrolls from that time, all of this stuff kind of backing it, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So historical narrative, but it's also, what's interesting is it's 12 chapters long. The first six chapters are really like the narrative portion. The final six are where it's like this prophetic, apocalyptic turn. And hopefully, yeah, like I'm already seeing some eyes like glazed over. They're like, he went apocalyptic. What is that like? Sounds so space age and all the movies and stuff. No, apocalyptic is more of the end times, like what's going to happen. Did you realize that Daniel even foreshadows Jesus coming? So it even goes that far. So he was actually referred to as a prophet, which a lot of people don't realize. And during this time period, anyone ever heard of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel? So Ezekiel was a prophet as well. They were contemporaries, which meant that they're existing at the same time. Ezekiel was a prophet among the exiles of all of the people from Jerusalem. So he would speak the word of God. God would speak through Ezekiel to these people that were in captivity. On the other side of the coin, Daniel was a prophet as well, but he spoke to the Babylonians, the people who captured the Israelites. Interesting. Same time, same vicinity, two completely different people groups. Y'all with me? Yeah. Okay. So, chapter begins. I'm going to kind of summarize the first few verses. So, where it starts off is the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, say that five times fast, totally. I'm waiting for someone, no. 
So King Nebuchadnezzar is the you know, king of Babylon, which was a city. It's now this great empire. They've besieged Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Jerusalem. So they've besieged it. They haven't completely taken over all of Jerusalem yet, but they have Judah. So they took all the people into captivity. And this is actually where we're going to take off is right on. Let's start with verse 3. But just a quick note to understand Babylon was the world power at the time. It was massive. Kingdoms were afraid of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar was known as being the fiercest ruler out there. And the thing is, is this guy had a bit of pride because he actually really enjoyed the fact that people were scared of him. So he wanted to do anything and everything to you know, fuel this fire so people would be more and more afraid of him in Babylon. So verse 3. Then the court king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the, excuse me, into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. The one thing that Daniel forgot to put about himself is that he's extremely humble, right? So he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Verse 6. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. For some of you, you might realize, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's where that is. Back to it, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. I want to pause there, a little more emphasis. But Daniel resolved. Keep that in the back of your mind. Resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now the official is a little afraid. He's like, wait, wait, wait. Okay, if I don't give you this and you just want me to give you vegetables, do you realize the king is going to see you look all malnourished? And why should I allow you to do this? And then you're going to come in malnourished and everyone else looks healthy. The king is going to have my head. Like, I'll lose my life. And Daniel reassures the guy. He's like, hey, no, no, no. Tell you what. Let's do a test. Ten days. Give us only, you know, vegetables, grains, water, nothing from the king's table. And let's see. And so the guy ends up agreeing with him. He's like, all right. Well, we'll try it. And what happened was after the 10 days, they look healthier and better nourished than anybody else. So he continued to give them the vegetables and the water. We're going to pick back up on verse 17 now, if you're with me. So to these four young men, God God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. 
in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of Cyrus. Amazing. So, so many of you might be hearing this and think, okay, he ate vegetables, he was really smart, 10 times smarter than the magicians and the enchanters, that's great. For some of you here right now, you might be thinking like, this is exactly what I'm doing, Whole30, right? (laughs) That's what I want. We're the Daniel fast, like today's the day I'm going to start this. You know, you're thinking that I'm pumping this, but it's actually... There's actually something much larger going on here. Far deeper than just this meal. Far deeper than just eating vegetables and all of a sudden they like are compared to everyone else and they're actually hands, you know, heads above everybody. See, Babylon, this great empire, was growing and thriving. They knew how to take over other empires and other countries. What they would do is they would go in and they would remove, like Daniel said, all the youngest, like upskilled, like the most up, you know, upsided people. They'll take the youngest ones, the ones that are most gifted, the ones that are, you know, have, I guess, most potential. They would take them into their own service and train them in their ways. And then they'd just leave the older people or the poor people off to their own. They'd be like, it's fine. Let them live, but they're probably just going to die off anyways. And then they would be too weak to fend for themselves anyways because then once Babylon would continue to grow and grow and these guys would be through a three-year term and they would learn, they would continue to push into these provinces and take over more and more land, robbing the people. And we could look at this and I know for so long I read it, I was like, well, that's not bad. Like, he's getting like a full-ride scholarship, right? Babylon U. Like, he's getting a great education. Because at the time, like, Babylon was the spot, like it was where, so it was actually where like mathematics and science, they actually excelled in this. There was a people group out of the southern empire of Babylon called the Chaldeans. And they were known for being like extremely smart. They were sages. And so what happened was like a lot of these sages were the ones that taught everything in Babylon. They were almost like the upper, upper echelon, upper class. They were the priests, they were the magis, they were like all of these governing people. So they're the ones that are teaching these kids. Imagine though, Daniel for a moment, him and the three boys, 14 to 15 years old, being taken from home, having to march with soldiers over 500 miles to this new land of captivity that they're in. A teenager being plucked from his parents never to see them again. And then he's coming into the service. He's going to school. He's going to learn astrology, math, mythology, like magic, language, and literature. All of these things, right? But there's something else. What Babylon was doing was actually a model for what a lot of people have done since then. A lot of them use the uh, term loosely, saying cultural assimilation, right? No. They're going in and they're pulling people out of this culture. What's the fastest way for a people group to completely 
be diminished. You take away their language. You completely take away their language and then they have nothing unique anymore. This is what was going on. So the school, they're learning the language, the literature, they're learning all of these things, and it's great, and it's appealing for the young guys because they think, oh, like, I'm getting a good opportunity. I may be in captivity, but I get to learn all this stuff. But it's actually something so much deeper. And then you see that they, you notice that they, in verse 6, they change their names. Once again, you went from, they, all the four of the boys had names that honored Yahweh, that honored God of the Bible. God of Jerusalem, the God of Israel. And they intentionally changed all of their names to honor gods that Babylonians identified with, not the God of the Bible. Again, you see this even in, even in old time, like history, throughout history, the mobs, the crime families, taking out young people, changing their names giving them new names, and this is all that they start to know, and they completely forget about everything, all their heritage and who they are, their identity. And then the food. Yeah, it's food, it's fancy food, but think, these boys are from Judah. They're probably like in a farmland, and then all of a sudden they're at the king's table, not just getting the scraps, but they're getting food off of the king's table, so extravagant meats and all of these things that they would never see before, and wines like they've never tasted before. And in so many ways, this would be great. Like, guys would see them, they'd freak out. Oh my gosh, I'm 15 years old, I want to eat everything. But many historians and theologians actually go back to this very moment, and they say that food wasn't just any ordinary food. That food was actually sacrificed to Babylonian gods. And then it was given to these guys. Are you seeing the theme? It's not just coming in and equipping them to lead in this country of Babylon. They're actually trying to purge the Jewish identity completely out of them. They're trying to strip them of everything that they know and hold near and dear. Their relationship with God, with Yahweh. They're trying to pull everything out of them so they won't even know him anymore. They won't even understand him anymore. But Daniel grew up and he would have grown up around the teaching of the likes of Jeremiah and Habakkuk and Zephaniah, like great prophets that we read about. He would have heard them. So he knew about this Yahweh. Like David says in Psalm 119, he says, how does a young man stay pure? He says, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. This is how they were taught. This is how they were taught in the culture in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, this is trying to be completely stripped from them so they could become someone totally different. In this very moment, though, I go back to verse 8, where Daniel resolved. But Daniel resolved. In the New King James Version of the Bible, I love it, it actually says, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Resolve, not the resolution, or resolving something. It's making a resolve. It's drawing a hard line in the ground, saying, I come up to this point, but I will not go any further. You are making a commitment. You reach a firm decision with all that you are that I am resolving from this day forward that I'm doing this. And in this very moment, it might have seemed like a small you know, 
commitment to make, but God, I'm not going to eat this food. I'm just going to eat fruits and vegetables. But he was actually doing something far greater. And he was saying, no, I won't do any of this because I know who I am and I know who God is. Daniel was just like he was saying, you can change my name. You can teach me your language and your literature. You can give me whatever titles you want, but you won't tell me what God to worship. Because I know who God is and I know he's the one true God. Because of this decision, we saw already that God honored honored his decision making and his heart for God. He showed him favor. You know, they're found 10 times better than all the magicians and the enchanters in all of the kingdom. God proved himself faithful to Daniel. Daniel resolved and committed to God, and God proved himself faithful. What I love is 15 years old, this young man, this is where I got stuck. Like, I couldn't shake this. He's 14, 15, and he made this decision at an early age. And as I kept reading through the book of Daniel, I kept going back to this very moment as a catalyst. It was this decision that he made in this very moment that propelled him forward. He made this early on. And the thing is, is as we go through the book of Daniel here in the next few weeks even, or the next month, or even if you read it on your own, you're going to see things did not get easier for him. He has to go up to the king and the king wants him to, de- to decipher these dreams. But the thing is, these dreams are not good news for the king. Like they're saying what's going to happen to him and it's not good stuff. And Daniel has to tell him this. And then Daniel sees his three closest friends that have become brothers to him get thrown into a furnace with fire to be killed. And then time after that, like Daniel's serving, he's being faithful, he's praying three times a day and People around him get jealous and they bust him out and then he's like thrown into a den with lions to be killed. So it's not that, you see what I'm saying here? Like I'm giving you a little scraps for now. But you see, he made this decision in this very moment. It's not that the world completely changed around him. He still went through issues. He still went through problems. But how he approached those problems when they arose were directly related to this one moment. Excuse me. You guys okay? With me still? So in this very moment, like I said, verse 8, Daniel resolved. And that's the one thing, like if you leave here with anything today, I want you to just that word to resonate in you and you not to be able to shake that word resolve. This young guy in this very moment, he resolved. He made this decision. I'm not going any further. But what did he resolve in? He resolved in who God was who he was, and that he was going to follow God and obey God. Church, we understand that it's actually easier for us to navigate through circumstance in our lives if we've already identified our convictions and established boundaries than if we wait for the moment. Without these boundaries or safeguards in our life, like we... What's going on in the inside of us, in our heart, in our emotion, and everything, we're really at the mercy of what's going on on the outside of us. Has anyone ever made a spontaneous decision maybe in the moment that you kind of regretted later? I have. I won't even start to tell you about it. 
I've had some redeeming moments, though. But, like, I've made some really bad decisions before. The beauty in this, though, is that, like, when we resolve to not compromise with smaller things, it actually empowers us, like, to not waver in the face of larger challenges or larger decisions that we need to make. Do you get that? Like when we resolve this with the smaller things, it's the smaller moments. It's for me, last June, all right, I'll, t- I'll change my diet. It was big, but it wasn't that big. And then I saw this massive change in my lifestyle. This could go for so many ways for us. I think about in Mark chapter four, Jesus talks about the parable of the soils. He talks about the seed being spread on this ground and some of the seeds were not really on, in good soil, they just kind of stayed at the top of the soil or the, the ground. And so when the sun came, they just kind of burned them up and they didn't bear any fruit. In the same way, that's you and I. If we don't resolve, if we don't make these decisions of who we are, who God is, and that we're going to follow him, as soon as circumstance arises, we'll waver. We're, we're going to be uprooted as soon as that stuff happens. Tragedy happens. We all get hit by it. I know that we were hit by it. But I know it for us, like decisions that we made long ago of who God was and who we were going to decide to call God and believe who God was actually helped us and comforted us through some of the darkest moments in our lives. Has anyone ever meal prepped before? So everyone, you know what I'm saying when I talk about meal prep, right? It's funny. Think about it this way. In a lot of ways, it's like meal prep. People meal prep, like some people do it on Sundays for the entire week, right? You meal prep so you save money, you control what you eat, so you're not eating bad stuff. And like for me before, it would have been like, so I'm not eating Taco Bell three times a day. I know, I know, right? I still don't, I don't hate Taco Bell, though. <laughs> Bless that. No, um, so that's why you meal prep, right? But when you don't meal prep, what happens? You get hungry and you have these, like, these food emergencies, right? Where I just need to get some chocolate. <laughs> right? Or like that pastry, I'm, I'm going to get a coffee at Blue Bottle, and then I'm like, right? I want, like, all of that. <laughs> I guess the coffee too, but I'd much rather just have like, give me the waffle, the cookies, the lemon, what was it, the poppy seed, all that, oh my gosh, all this stuff, all of it. You get what I'm saying though? Like if we don't resolve beforehand, just like when we meal prep, we're at the mercy of our emotions at that moment. If we don't resolve and make these decisions of who God is, of who we are, and that we're going to obey God and follow and pursue God, when stuff arises, well, God, I love you, but like, I just had to do it. We're like, after the fact, ah, sorry. (laughs) It's a little tough. But it's, if you think about it this way, your smaller decisions that you make today actually greatly influence your future. Directly influence it. See, throughout Daniel's lifetime, he made decisions that all stem from that very moment in verse 8. All of it. 
Better yet, I believe that the decisions that he made after that were set in motion because of what he did in verse 8. Do you realize that Daniel, being one of the very first men of Judah, young people of Judah, being brought into captivity, throughout all he went through, he actually lived to see the first group of exiles go back into the land of Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. He resolved early, and God honored him. God was faithful. God kept him. And he actually got to see his people free once again. And not just free, but to build a temple, to build a city so they could worship the God of the Bible once again the way that they always wanted to. So what do you need to resolve today? I want to turn it on you for a moment. We're talking about Daniel. But what do you need to resolve today? What do you need to make that hard decision that, God, I'm going to do this, or God actually, you know, for some of us, it could be like, this is all new to me. This is intriguing. That's great. Tell you what, resolve today that you're going to be encouraging. Resolve today that you're going to be positive instead of being so negative at times. I'm speaking to myself. What are we going to resolve today? What are we going to make today, you know, that decision to commit to. For so many of us, resolve is the only thing that's missing from us experiencing revival in our lives. What I mean with revival is a rejuvenation, a restoration. Maybe there's some things that we've desired so much to see in life and we haven't seen it, but maybe all it's gonna take in the missing ingredient is resolve. Maybe where we want to get to in life, the next step that we've been struggling to meet and we have you know, failure and you know, letdown and all of these things take place, but maybe the one thing that's going to propel us past all of that is maybe it's finally to take a moment to resolve. I'm going to purpose in my heart today. Church, do you understand that resolve and faith go hand in hand? When you step out in faith or you believe something that you might not see, it takes resolve to do that. Without resolve, you can't step into faith. I'm going to turn with you to Hebrews 11 for a moment. Love this passage. I always get so jacked when I get to read it and talk about it. It's affectionately called, referred to in so many circles, it's referred to as like the Faith Hall of Fame. Talks about all these amazing people that exercised faith and they displayed faith throughout their lives. It's in my Bible it says faith in action. I'm going to read you a couple. It says, first off, verse one says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. I'm going to kind of skip down. It says, verse seven, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, he built an ark. He built an ark for him and his family, and they were saved. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. 
but he resolved. He's like, I don't know where I'm going, God, but you're promise, promising me all this stuff, but I'm going to go anyways. He resolved. Isaac, Jacob, the list goes on. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Yep, it says that. They did not receive the things that they were promised, but they resolved who God was. They resolved who they are. And they resolved that they're going to pursue God with all their hearts. And they're going to see that on the other side, so they're still going to experience that stuff. And it goes on and on to talk about by faith Isaac, bless Jacob, but by faith Moses, parents hid him for three months after he was born. By faith Moses, when grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And it goes on to talk about Moses. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Remember that. You've got massive walls and these people are marching around and singing. What? It's either fully crazy or they resolved. They committed every morning, God, I don't know how you're going to get us into this place. I don't know how you're going to break these walls down, but I'm committing to you. I'm purposing in my heart. I am resolving today. I'm going to keep marching around, probably looking like an idiot, but it's cool because I'm surrounded by a whole bunch of other people that are doing it. But I resolved that you're going to do this in those walls fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And I love it because this is who God is. God doesn't look at title, gender, whatever, you know, race. He doesn't look at any of that. Look at who is in the faith hall of faith. He chose a prostitute where most church leaders would be like, oh, why is she in this? It should be only scholars and people that did well. God is saying, no, look at, look at what Rahab did. She purposed in her heart. She resolved, and therefore I'm going to put her on display for everyone to see because that's what I want. I just want the heart. I'm not fussed about the rest of you. Just come to me. I just want your heart. Purpose in your heart. Resolve in your heart. And I'll show you what I can do. And the list goes on and on and on. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Again, they're reiterating that. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, with us, would they need to be made perfect? So what do you need to resolve today, church? Maybe it's actually listening and understanding before we condemn or we come up with a conclusion about somebody. Maybe it's extending grace first instead of waiting for what we could get before we let somebody in. Maybe it's loving unconditionally Regardless of that, we don't understand somebody or they look completely different than us or act completely different than us. It's just listen and hear people out. For some of us, it very well could be opening up the Bible, saying, God, all right, I want to learn. You're real, show me. Maybe it's making that decision. Maybe it's committing to coming to church like you did today and saying, you know what, there's going to be Sunday mornings where I don't feel like it, I'm probably going to be tired. 
but God, I'm resolving that I'm going to show up. And you're going to honor it, I know it, because it's who you are, because you're faithful. Maybe it's like, today we need to resolve that we're going to live our Mondays through Saturdays like we do on Sundays from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. I'll let that sink in. I know that one hurts, because that's for me too. Does our life reflect our convictions and our beliefs? It should. It should be directly related to that. What do you want to resolve today? And it's not something to get down on yourself about. Because notice what we talked about earlier, resolving is the little steps that we take. Step by step. Incremental change. God breathes on it, it turns into something amazing. You don't have to change your whole life in one day like I didn't have to. I changed my diet, but then God changed the rest. So what do you need to resolve today? I ask you, what do you need to resolve? Because I really believe in this. I always had this all throughout worship. I felt God saying like, today is a day of change for people. Today is a day where fear is going to completely just break off. Because I believe that there's quite a few of us in this very room that have been fearful to actually resolve certain things in our lives. I'm going to invite Leon up and the worship team. Why don't you, why don't you come up? So what do you need to resolve today? Can we all stand as a family? I want you to think about this as we sing together. Think about this. And what can we give up? God, what can I resolve today? Maybe I've tried resolving this in my past and I've kind of failed or I've screwed up on occasion. Today is a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Grace covers that. So you can step into it today. It's for you.